to write about all the things that happened in the history of the Catholic Church, things that I've just told you and many other things that are very shocking, that are not at all hidden. I mean, they're in the record. Most Catholics today don't know the history of the Catholic Church, and, and most would not even begin to think that the Church could have had a history like that. But I encourage you to read his book, A Woman Rides the Beast. It's a must on this subject. If you love Catholics and you want to see Catholics delivered, out of, if you are thinking to yourself, well, the Roman Catholic Church has its problem, but it's not that bad. That's what Dave Hunt thought until he was challenged by ex-Catholics to do a little research, and that led him to write this book, among other things. So, but let me say this to you. I believe that this harlot called Mystery Babylon is actually bigger than just the Roman Catholic Church. She is called the mother of all harlots on the face of the earth. And I believe the final world religion will be a composite of all false religions, but I also believe that the Roman Catholic Church is going to be instrumental in bringing them all together. J. Vernon McGee said, and I quote, You see, all true believers will have left the world scene at the time of the rapture. This includes, he said, all true believers. And I have discovered that there are many true believers in Roman Catholicism, in liberal churches, and even in some very weird religious systems. He said all genuine believers, regardless of where they have gone to church, will be raptured. This will leave a church on the earth that is totally apostate. Rather than being the bride of Christ, God calls it a harlot, end quote. Now, verse 1 again. John said, then, I, then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bulls, came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. In chapter 17 and 18, she is called a harlot four times and the great city eight times. So she is both a harlot and a city. It says she sits on many waters. And we don't have to speculate as to what that means because in verse 15, it says, Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So this is a world church encompassing people from all over the world. Again, verse 1. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Verse 2, With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. The kings of the earth joined with her and were intoxicated with the wine of her idolatry. Now, for 1,500 years... The Roman Catholic Church controlled the states of Europe. Uh, she controlled kings. I mean, the popes were very powerful. And because kings were afraid of being excommunicated, the popes held that over their heads, and the kings gave their loyalty. They came under the control and authority of the popes and did their bidding. But folks, the church was never intended by God to rule on earth until her bridegroom returns and she is wed to him and we sit down with him on his throne. That's when we reign, right? The church was never intended to rule or reign on the earth until Jesus Christ comes back and establishes his kingdom. 
Then we sit on his throne and we, we rule with him. Verse 3 says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now I'll give you another little homework assignment. Read Isaiah chapters 47 and 48 this week in the light of verse 3 of Revelation 17. But again, don't confuse the woman and the beast. They are not the same thing. She is not the beast. She is sitting on the beast. The scarlet beast here is the same one described in chapter 13, verse 1. And in that verse, it's talking about the final world empire under Antichrist. So the beast that she's riding is the final world empire. She is the final world church, but she's writing the final world empire under Antichrist. Verse 4, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Purple was the dominant color of Roman imperialism. In fact, each of the members of the Roman Senate back then wore a purple band on their robes, and the emperor wore robes of all purple. Scarlet has become the official color that's been adopted by the Vatican. If you were to tour the Vatican, and I haven't done this, but I've listened to several pastors that have, they say if you tour the Vatican and their art treasures, uh, you will see a number of paintings of a woman seated upon a scarlet beast that they will tell you represents the Roman Catholic Church. In fact, from what I understand, in one location, there's a, a giant tapestry, and on the tapestry is a scarlet-colored beast with seven heads, the seventh head with ten horns, and there is a prostitute riding the beast, just like we read here in Revelation 17, and there's a sign under this picture, the Mother Church. I, I'm flabbergasted. I just, I don't know. Jesus said, you know, by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you got tapestries and paintings hanging in the Vatican of this scene in Revelation 17, and the church itself admits that's the Roman Catholic Church. Yikes! It talks about a cup full of abominations. Abominations in Scripture are almost always synonymous with idolatry. Blasphemy includes any doctrine that attempts to add or modify what God has completed. In other words, adding works to faith to attain salvation. Folks, one of the biggest lies, probably the biggest, that Satan has ever fed the human race is this, that people get to heaven by being good. That heaven is a reward for deserving people. That's the lie of religion. All religion, whether you know it or not, got their start in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve were placed in this beautiful garden and God gave them one prohibition that they were not to eat the fruit of one tree only, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they went ahead and they ate of that forbidden fruit their eyes were open. They realized they were naked. In other words, now they realize that they uh, were sinners. So what did they do? To cover their nakedness, they took fig leaves, sewed them together, and 
wore them as aprons. God came down in the cool of the day to fellowship with Adam and Eve. Of course, he knew what they had done, but he didn't accept the fig leaves. He killed a couple of animals and covered them with the skins of animals. The question is why? Do animal skins cover any better than fig leaves? Not really, but the idea was this, that God would never allow the shame of our nakedness. In other words, the shame of sin to be covered by the works of our hands, it would require a blood sacrifice. The soul that sins shall surely die, and yet God allowed a substitute to die in our place. But that, whether you know it or not, became the, the basis and the beginning of all false religion. All religions apart from Christianity are based on human effort, human works that you do to earn your way into heaven. Paul hits this hard in the book of Galatians. Another assignment you can have this way. You're going to be busy. <laughs> Read the book of Galatians. Paul hits this very hard. He said, look, if works and rituals were enough to save us, then Christ died in vain. It's as simple as that. But seeking to add to the completed work of Christ on Calvary's cross is blasphemy. Jesus said, it is almost done. It is finished. It is finished. The work of redemption was completed on the cross of Christ. We don't need to add to it. If you add to it, you take away from it. Galatians 5, Paul said, if you try to add anything to grace to earn your salvation in the slightest way, you forfeit grace. Grace will not, God will not offer you grace anymore. You have forfeited grace and you have divorced yourself from the completed work of Christ. In other words, what Jesus did will not help you at all if you try to add to it your human work. You can take, as one author said, a billion pounds of grace and add one ounce of works and you negate grace. Because God will not share his glory with another. God doesn't want us in heaven boasting. God wants to get all the glory for the work that he did. And only God could purchase our salvation because sinners can't die for sinners. The guilty can't die for the guilty. It would require the innocent dying for the guilty. That's why Jesus had to come down. God in human form who died on the cross in our place, the sinless, perfect uh, Lamb of God, who alone could pay for and take away the sin of the world. Now, the Roman Catholic Church, of course, does teach that it's faith plus works that saves a person. We evangelicals come back and say, well, it's not faith plus works, it's a faith that works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not the result of good works, lest any should boast. Verse 10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So once you're saved, good works follow as an evidence of true saving faith, right? If a person says, I believe, and has no works, that person is deceiving themselves. James said, if you say you have faith and have no works, what kind of faith is that? Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Now, because of what James said, Martin Luther thought he was teaching salvation by works, and so he rejected the book of James as being uninspired or non-canonical. But James was basically just saying what Paul said, but was taking it to the next 
step. He's just saying, look, we are saved by faith, as, as a Spurgeon would say. We are totally convinced that man is saved by faith alone. But we are also just as convinced that the kind of faith that saves a man is never really alone. Why? Because if you have true saving faith in your heart, you're going to have good works as an evidence, right? Once you're connected to Jesus, like a branch connected to a fruit-bearing tree, like an apple tree or an orange tree, that branch can't help but bring forth fruit. And once you're connected to Christ, the fruit doesn't get you saved. It's an evidence that you are saved and attached to Christ. So that's what we say that, look, as evangelicals, we believe in doing good works. It's just that we don't believe they're necessary for salvation. They are an evidence of salvation. The Roman Catholic Church comes along and says, no, it's faith plus works that saves you. And as we've already pointed out in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, I believe, Paul said, we are not saved. It is through his mercy that he saves us, not according to our works of righteousness. And there's other, many other verses that talk about salvation being a total gift of God, uh, according to his grace, not according to anything we do. Now, of course, the Catholic Church isn't the only group that teaches salvation by works. They do mix it with faith. There's a, every other false religious system, including the cults, they all teach salvation by works. Of course, their belief systems are also faulty. At least the Roman Catholic Church believes in the deity of Christ. They believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. So technically, the Roman Catholic Church is not a cult, but it is a false religious system. It is not teaching the truth about salvation. It thinks it is. And God love all the Roman Catholics who love the Lord and believe their church is teaching them the truth, as I did for many years. But you know what set me free and my wife free? You have it in your lap. That's why the Roman Catholic Church for centuries kept people away from the Word of God. You can't keep people enslaved in darkness if you give them the light to read. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's why the Reformation was all about starting colleges and schools to teach people how to read so that they never again would be enslaved by anyone who had to read the scriptures and interpret them for them. They could read the scriptures themselves and be accountable to God. Verse 5, it says, On her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. The word mystery, there is a Greek word, it's the word mysterion, and it means something that was hidden or unknown, but is now being revealed. And of course, by the time we get to the book of Revelation, by the time the Antichrist appears on the scene, and of course the false prophet, and they initiate this one world religion, what was once secret, you know, like the occult, the word occult means hidden things or secret things. But the occult has become mainstream today, hasn't it? We've talked about this. Years ago, I was in a bookstore. I'm talking about when I first got saved. Secular bookstore. And I went to, uh, I was walking around, and I found the occult section. One little bookshelf way in the back of the store. Almost like they were ashamed, but here it is. For all the weirdos that want to go back there, it's there. You walk into a bookstore today and go to the occult section. It's new age, and it's all included. Rows and rows of bookshelves. What once was hidden and secret is 
becoming mainstream. Well, that's going to really explode during the tribulation period when all these mystery religions that were once practiced in secret are going to become mainstream. And you know who is going to be looked upon in a negative way? All the true believers. And they're going to be persecuted and killed for their faith. Verse 5 says that this woman is called the mother of harlots. There are many like her. It's a spiritual brothel, really. In other words, whoever this woman is, she has been around from the beginning, thousands of years before the Roman Catholic Church started because she is the source or the fountainhead of all false religion on the face of the earth, including the Roman Catholic Church. It's much bigger than just the Roman Catholic Church. Let me uh, give you a little history. We know the first false religious system on the face of the earth was started by a man named Nimrod. He built the Tower of Babel, which some of your Bibles say was a tower to reach up into heaven. But that's not really what, what it's saying in the Hebrew. It wasn't a tower to reach up into heaven where God dwells. It was a tower to reach up to the heavens. It was a large, like a pyramid, all right? Uh, the, the word is ziggurat. And later on, these ziggurats were used in all kinds of different false religions to worship the sun, the moon, the stars. These ziggurats had on, their, on the top a platform that contained the sign of the zodiac, which these pagan priests used then to chart the stars. And, and they believed that through obser observing the stars and all, the priests could gain spiritual insights and uh, a knowledge of the future. Now, Nimrod whose name means rebel, rebel. He was the first cult leader on the face of the earth. Nimrod, it says, um, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. The Hebrew is actually more specific. He was a mighty hunter of men's souls in defiance of the Lord. He was a rebel. You see, God had made himself known through, of course, Adam and Eve when he created them, and they passed that knowledge on to their children. Of course, Noah and his family uh, knew the Lord and, and worshipped the, the true and living God. But here comes Nimrod, and he doesn't want to worship the true and living God. He wants to worship a God of his own choosing. And so he leads this little rebellion against God of people that want to follow him in false worship. He was the first cult leader. Babel, of course, later became Babylon, the place where all false religions got their start. We're reading about it here in chapter 17, verse 5. Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Now, let me give you a little background that the Bible doesn't give you, but we get from secular sources. All right. Nimrod married a woman named Semiramis. Semiramis was a high priestess of one of the Babylonian secret or mystery religions. She claimed that she conceived a son miraculously without intercourse by a man. She conceived the son by a sunbeam. And the child that she bore, she called the sun god and named him Tammuz. And that is why she is often pictured holding Tammuz in her arms with the sun behind each of their heads. What people today call halos. Goes all the way back to Semiramis and Tammuz. When he became an adult, legend says that Tammuz was out hunting one day and he was gored by a wild boar and died. His mother 
fasted and prayed for him for 40 days, and after 40 days, he was miraculously resurrected. This gave rise to the practice of Lent. I'm not trying to lay a trip on you guys. I'm trying to tell you that a lot of the things that have come into the church find their roots in ancient Babylonianism. I mean, when Constantine became a believer, he realized he had to unite Christians and pagans. The best way to do what he thought was to Christianize the pagan holidays, make everybody one. Again, religion, bringing people together, right? Just what the Antichrist is going to do to the false prophet. And so Constantine decided, well, here's what we'll do. We'll take the, uh, the Feast of Saturnalia, which happens around the 25th of December, which is a celebration of the, of the birth of the sun god, and we'll just make it the birth of the son of God, Jesus Christ. I'm not saying it's wrong to celebrate the birth of Christ on December 25th. I'm just trying to tell you that a lot of the things that we celebrate Christmas with the decorated uh, evergreen trees and the Yule logs and the mistletoe, all of that finds its roots in ancient Babylonianism. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. He said for